Take your Bible this morning and turn with me to Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5. And please stand with me as we honor God in reading His Word together. Matthew chapter 5. Begin with verse 21. If you don't have a Bible, there should be one underneath, underneath the chair you're sitting in or, or close, to, close to you anyway. You can turn there. The New Testament, Matthew chapter 5, beginning with verse 21. You've heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not murder, and whoever murders will be liable to judgment. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council. And whoever says, you fool, will be liable to the hell of fire. Verse 23, so if you're offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother and then come and offer your gift. Come to terms quickly with your accuser while you're going with him to court, lest your accuser hand you over to the judge and the judge to the guard and you be put in prison. Truly, I say to you, you will never get out until you have paid the last penny. Let's pray together again. Our Father, I thank you again for your word. God, I ask that your word would penetrate our hearts. You reveal areas in our life that are not right. You alone have the power to help us resist sin and to kill sin in us. So, Father, we recognize our need of You and we pray that You'd reveal our need of You as we look at what Your Word says to us this morning. We're so easily offended. And yet, Father... We have infinitely offended you by our sin, our inconsistencies. Father, help us, God, to have perspective this morning and to see how much we've been forgiven so that we will reciprocate that to others for your glory. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. You can be seated. As you're being seated, what is the commandment? If you ask people or have a conversation with people, perhaps a spiritual conversation with people, what would be the commandment most people think that they have kept? It would probably be the sixth commandment that Jesus references in these verses. If you've talked to somebody about the gospel and ask them about whether or not they think they're going to go to heaven and all this kind of thing, then they'll probably say something like, well, I ain't never killed nobody. I'm a pretty good person. I ain't never killed nobody. At least that's how we'd say it in Tennessee. I ain't never killed nobody. And when someone says some, something like that, they misunderstand the direction of that sixth commandment. Because the sixth commandment wasn't merely to talk about someone that's taken someone else's life. It certainly was to forbid that. But it was to do more than that. It was to show us about how we're supposed to love one another with all our hearts. And so, one of the things I want to call your attention to this morning is that God's Word is perfect. God's Word is perfect. God's perfect Word is misunderstood by imperfect people. And we are all imperfect. We are all sinners. God's perfect Word is misunderstood by imperfect people. And that's the reason Jesus says what He says in verse 21. Look at your Bible. 
You've heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not murder. And whoever commits murder, whoever murders will be liable to judgment. But I say to you, verse 22. Now, it's been said earlier in Matthew chapter 5 already, Jesus says, I didn't come to abolish the prophets or abolish the law. I didn't come to do away with the old commandments, the commandments from the old covenant. So Jesus is not doing that here, brothers and sisters. He's saying, you've heard from of old. This is the way you heard things from old. The way you heard things was you misunderstood how it's to be applied. You misunderstood the direction in which that commandment was supposed to lead. And so Jesus is talking to sinful people, imperfect people, about the perfect Word of God. Now, he's talking about the sin of anger. So this morning I thought about um, something my kids were doing this weekend. Uh, they were out by the road and, and with their chairs lined up uh, close to our house and they were doing this and getting people to blow their horns. I think they got up to a count of 135 or something like that yesterday. Just, just curious how many of you blew your horns at my, your horn at my kids this week. A few of you did, okay? They were out there Friday and I think they were out there yesterday too. And they, every once, we was in the house and every once in a while you hear uh, this beep, 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 beep all day long at our house. Now, it got me to thinking this morning about this message. What is the purpose of a car horn? Is the purpose of a car horn, um, is it to give us the right to express anger? Because often that's how we use our car. Sometimes it's beep, beep, hey, how you doing? Beep, beep. And many times it's, what do you think you're doing? Is the car horn's purpose there, when the, when the automobile industry, you know, regulated that cars are supposed to have car horns, did they put it there so thinking that, you know, human beings have the right to express anger, so let's give them a way, let's, manda- let's mandate a way that human beings can express anger and make sure every car has a horn in it. Is that why it's in there? No. It, it's actually in there, isn't it? So that we can warn someone, hey, watch out. It's actually supposed to be a gracious, it's a gracious instrument in your vehicle. I should say in our vehicles because I've misused the car horn many times. It's actually a gracious instrument to warn others, watch out, be careful. Correct? Now, when we think about this topic of anger this morning, we think about um, how, what is it that God's, God's, how is it that God's designed us to respond to things in such a way where we express, do we have a right to express anger? You know, is there, uh, are we right, do we have a right to be angry? You know, a lot of these emotions come up in us. Cain and Abel, you remember the story of Cain and Abel. God said to Cain about his offering, God had no regard for it. So Cain was very angry and his face fell. And the Lord said to Cain, why are you angry and why is your face fallen? And then Cain spoke to Abel, his brother. And when they were in the field, Cain rose up against his brother and killed him. Cain was angry with his brother and he ended up actually literally murdering his brother and killing his brother. Jesus says in this passage of Scripture that whether someone's been killed or not, 
murder can still take place. God still sees it as murder. We were having family devotions last night. We've turned over to this passage of Scripture, and I was sitting at the table with the kids and my wife and and uh, began to ask them questions about this passage of Scripture. And one of the kids said, Well, what if a... Uh, I don't know why it's... If you go by, if you come to our house and you listen real carefully, you might not hear car horns blowing at the kids, but you might hear our kids back behind our house and there's a little bit of stretch of woods by a ditch and you'll hear them chopping woods. They're out there chopping, trying to chop trees down and brush all the time. They're just constantly working up a storm. Sometimes you can't see them. You can just see tree branches going back and forth. So I think this might be where it's come from. One of the kids asked last night, we were sitting at the table, said, Dad, what if you chopped down a tree and it accidentally fell on somebody? And I think, okay, why are you asking this, first of all? But is, is that the same as murder, I think, is what they were asking. And so I used that to say, you know what? Chopping down a tree and it accidentally falling on someone, as serious as that is, it would be much more serious for you to say to your brother or your sister, I hate you that would be much more serious. You're not teasing. You're angry and you're mad. Chopping down a tree on someone and killing them is much less serious than these words flying out your mouths at one another or out my mouth at you at times and being angry. And we're all guilty of it. You see, as I've already said, you can be guilty of murder without anybody dying. Is that what verse 21 says? You've heard it was said of old, you shall not murder. Whoever murders will be liable to judgment. But I say to you, verse 22, that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. And eventually, if you keep reading, he says, to the fire of hell. You can be guilty of murder without anyone dying. And so, siblings, brothers and sisters, kids that are here in the service this morning, you need to listen. These names that come out of your mouth at one another towards your friends or towards one another, God takes that very seriously. Parents, when you get angry, when I get angry and I yell at my kids, that's sin. And we know it all too well because some of us, we were beating ourselves up over it all the time. I know I do too. Those people that you work with all day long, they, some of them just make you angry, Right? Or your spouse makes you angry. Well, this is a very relevant topic for us, isn't it? There's a lot of things in this world that can make us angry. But how do we deal with that? How do we deal with that in a way in which it is not sinful? And when we do sin, what are we to do about it? That's the message this morning. So I hope you're listening. Because if you think you're a good person, this commandment slays all of us. This is a room full of murderers. So be warned, and this is Jesus' warning, number one, your unrighteous anger will take you to hell. That's about as blunt as I know to word the point because that's just how what Jesus is saying. Your unrighteous anger will take you to hell. Now this week, my kids tease sometimes. Sometimes we tease with our words, correct? And this week I hurt my back, and, and so my, my kids... Uh, my littlest one, Titus, said, Daddy, you need a walking stick. And so 
they went and they got me this walking stick. I mean, it's a big round walking stick that they'd been working on for a while anyway, and they brought it to me. It's about this tall, and I used it too. I was walking around at the house and using it to stand up, and it was a real big help to me. And I was walking around this house, and, and my one of my sons, I won't mention who, but it's my oldest one, said, <laughs> he said, hey, Gandalf. <laughs> so my nickname for the week is Gandalf. If you know who Gandalf is, carrying his big stick, leading the guys on the way wherever they're going in Lord of the Rings. Well, teasing is okay. I can handle a Gandalf. Sometimes there's other words that are said that are not so good. One of our kids, and I won't mention this one. Sometimes there are certain words that maybe a kid knows not to use because they'll get in trouble for so they won't call their brother and sister that name. But there's other names. And for a while in our house, one of our kids would call the other one, You little tiny moose! You little tiny moose. I thought to myself, because the other one would get mad, and I'd say, Think about what they just said. They called you a little tiny moose. Ooh, that's really scary. Little tiny moose. You're getting upset over that. But that word, that name, was said in anger, though. Just as much as if it was idiot or fool or stupid or whatever. Or I hate you. And there's other words that have been used. And so when we look at this passage of Scripture and Jesus begins to say in verse 22, Look at your Bible, but I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother... There's a word, raka, that's in some of your translations, will be liable to counsel. And whoever says, you fool, be liable to hell of fire. Don't think that as long as you don't say fool or raka, that, which is an Aramaic expression in the New Testament time, that you're okay. No, if you say, little tiny moose, and you're mad, then you're in danger of hell. Or if you say fool, or if you say stupid, and you mean it, there's no teasing going on here. You really shouldn't tease that way anyway. Then you've sinned enough to go to hell. Your unrighteous anger will take you to hell. And that is exactly what Jesus is saying. Parents, we do our children no good to let such things slip by. It's an opportunity for you to teach them a little something about their hearts. Where's this coming from? Because listen to what Jesus said. Matthew chapter 15, verse 18 and 19 says, But what comes out of the mouth proceeds from the heart, and this defiles a person. Not what goes in, but what comes out. It comes out of the heart. For out of the heart come evil thoughts, murder. An angry heart leads to angry words and leads to angry actions. Adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false witness, slander. All these things come out of hearts. So again, look at your Bible in verse 22. And notice in the ESV it translates the word insult. Some of it just has a literal, a literal uh, non-translated Aramaic word insults. Uh, is, is raka. And the word can mean, uh, for those of you who are familiar with Charlie Brown, it can mean blockhead. Calling somebody a blockhead. But you're not teasing about it. It can mean call somebody a jerk or an idiot. The New American Standard translation, I think, translates it as a good for nothing. Well, you're just good for nothing. Well, sometimes I've heard people tease that way before, but I've heard people say that and I mean, well, that person, they're just good for nothing. 
way we used to say it, ain't no, that, they, they ain't a bit of count. I know that probably don't make a sense to you. It's one of those Tennessee expressions too, but they ain't no count. When you say those type of things and you've got anger in your heart when you say it, you're guilty of, of murder in the eyes of God. The word fool here is the Greek word moros, and it really literally would mean moron, to call somebody a moron, to say that someone is dull or stupid. There's a Hebrew word that Jesus could be referring to here, though, that's an even more serious word that calls into judgment someone's spiritual state, their spiritual condition. So you have the same sin here, folks, equals the same judgment. Some people would look at this passage of Scripture in verse 22. Look at it again. Everyone who's angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to counsel. And whoever says, you fool, will be liable to hell of fire. And you could look at that and you could say, well, there's a progression here. So if, I do, if I'm angry, this will happen. But if I insult or say Raka, then I'm going to the Sanhedrin. I'm going to the Supreme Court of the land. But if I say, you fool, man, I'm going to hell. That's not the point. There's not a point of progression here that different consequences for different words or there's synonymous terms being used here to express the same result. You have anger in your heart, unrighteous anger in your heart. It will be judged by God in the fire of hell. The fire of hell here, the Greek word that's used there is Gehenna. Many of you know this and some may not, so I'll go ahead and mention it. Gehenna was this place in the Old Testament. It's south of Jerusalem. This place where in the Old Testament times, in the very wicked times of God's people, that they would take and they would sacrifice children, babies even, to the false god Moloch. And they would sacrifice those babies there and they would burn their bodies. Later, uh, later uh, the king Josiah uh, put an end to that and had uh, those people executed in that area. And that place would burn, and it kind of became a a garbage dump. And and, and they would burn garbage and put dead bodies there. People that had been executed would be placed in this valley of Gehenna, this hell of fire. Well, as time went on, that that literal place on earth became... became, uh, synonymous with thinking about God's eschatological judgment, God's judgment in the real spiritual place called hell, which is not just a spiritual place, it's a physical place as well, but it's not on earth. Hell is not on earth, folks. I hope you understand that. There is a literal place called hell, and it doesn't end, and there are, is fire there, and you will certainly go there, and you certainly do deserve to go there. And you will if you do not repent and trust in Jesus Christ, because you are a murderer at heart just as I am. That's bad news, but it's good news if you see the good news behind it that leads us to Christ and not to trust in ourself. So you see, your unrighteous anger will take you to hell. When I was a kid, we used to watch the Incredible Hulk TV show. Anybody remember the Incredible Hulk TV show? Some of you do, showing our age a little bit. And it was David Banner at the time. Now, David Banner or Bruce Banner, you can go do your research, but it was David Banner at the time. And He used to say, if he mashed his finger or something like that, or he would say to somebody, don't make me angry. You wouldn't like me when I'm angry. And sometimes maybe that's our attitude. We, our attitude, we kind of pride ourselves on a long temper. But if somebody pushes our buttons long enough, and folks, we all have our buttons to push... 
then eventually that anger comes bursting out and could hurt somebody, at least with words. And what we need to understand is, even if we warn somebody ahead of time, don't make me angry, you wouldn't like me when I'm angry, do we have a right to be angry? I've used this phrase, unrighteous anger, and there's a, a phrase in the King James translation, if somebody are using that, that is probably from older manuscripts. We're not sure that it was part of the original. It says, anger without a cause. And I do think it helps clarify for us when we look at the rest of Scripture, what Jesus has in mind here is unrighteous anger. In other words, there are situations that we even should be angry about, like injustice in the world that robs the glory of God. But here's the thing. Most of our anger is not about what's robbing God from His glory. Most of the anger that we experience about things, whether it's our children making us angry or our spouse or the people we work with, whatever it might be, driving down the road honk, blowing our horn at somebody, most of the anger we feel has nothing to do with the glory of God, does it? It's because we're not getting what we want. We're, we're personally offended about something. Now, God, it said, the Bible says God is angry. In Psalm chapter 7, verse 11, the Bible says, God has indignation toward the wicked all the, all the day long. God is angry with the wicked every day. So we have a God that is angry at sin because it robs Him of His glory. It seeks to rob Him of the glory due His name. My creatures created in the image and glory of God. And we're told in Scripture in Ephesians chapter 4, Verse 26, be angry and do not sin. So Paul tells us, be angry and don't sin. So there's this place, almost this gray area of being angry yet not sinning, but is it okay to be angry about something that in which has nothing to do with the glory of God? I think there needs to be a check on our anger here because I think sometimes we justify our anger. Matthew chapter 7, verse 26 Jesus tells people that are unbelievers that don't build their houses on, on the rock instead of on sand. He calls them foolish. Jesus uses the word fool. Matthew chapter 23, verse 17, Jesus says to the Pharisees, scribes who were teaching the law in the wrong way, He called them, you blind fools, for which is greater the gold of the temple that has made the gold sacred. So God is angry at times. In fact, every day with the wicked... Jesus cleared the temple and he was certainly angry because of the glory of God was being desecrated by the way the people were doing things in the temple. But when people hurled insults at Jesus and blasphemed him, you don't see him getting angry in return, do you? When he's personally and directly attacked, you don't see Jesus get angry. But he's angry. When the glory of God, the glory of His Father, He's come to glorify His Father. He is God Himself. He gets angry when He sees that being sought to be undermined by people's actions. Is that true about us? I think a good question to ask ourselves is this. Why am I angry? Because, yeah, we, we know the Scripture says, be angry and sin not. But is my anger justified? Is it, is it righteous? Why am I angry? Listen to this example in the life of Moses. Numbers chapter 20, verse 10. 
Then Moses and Aaron gathered the assembly together before the rock, and he said to them, Here now, you rebels! It's the same word for fool in the Old Testament. That scripture verse in the Old Testament that says, The fool has said in his heart, There is no God. Massah is the Hebrew word. And he's saying, You rebels. And he goes on in his anger. And you could say, well, he's right to be angry. The people are disobeying. And I might agree with you on that. But Moses lifted up his hand and struck the rock with his staff twice. Water came out abundantly and the congregation drank their livestock. And the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, because you did not believe in me to uphold me as holy in the eyes of the people of Israel, therefore you shall not bring the assembly into the land that I've given him. Why was Moses angry? He was not angry because it had something to do with the holiness of God. He was angry because he was fed up. He was angry because he was personally offended and it cost him his life. God saw that as murder towards God's people, even though God's people brought it on and they did all kinds of stuff to make him angry. His response was to become angry and take matters into his own hand. God held him accountable for it. Why do you get angry? A little boy asked his parents, what causes war? And they got into a fight. His parents got into a fight. What causes war, mom and dad? And they started discussing it among themselves and got into a fight. And James says this, chapter 4, verse 2. You desire and do not have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. The reason there's murder, the reason there's fighting and quarreling is because we don't want, we're not getting what we want. And that's not righteous anger. Moses wasn't getting any respect. I just want a little respect sometimes, we say, maybe to our kids. And we get angry when we don't get the respect we want. That's what Moses' problem was. And God said, you're unjustified in that. All you're thinking about right now is your own glory. You're not thinking about me. Why do we get angry at certain situations that we're experiencing? Because we've been inconvenienced? Because we've been disrespected? Because... So-and-so forgot to do this for us or we got overlooked about the promotion or whatever it might be. And our anger has nothing to do with the glory of God. That is not righteous anger. We may think it is. After all, our children, obey your parents to the Lord. Honor your parents. You know, honor your parents. Obey your parents to the Lord for this is right. And we get angry at them. We think, well, we're justified to be angry because of what Scripture says. But are we angry because they're disobeying God and not glorifying God? Or are we angry because they're inconveniencing us? Well, I'll have to say a lot of times I'm angry because it has nothing to do with God. It's because of me. And I don't respond the right way. And there's many times I, there's many times I have to go to my kids and say, I'm, I'm sorry, I shouldn't have yelled. I should, have, I should have done things differently. And I want to say, but you, make, you really make me mad. Now, sometimes I have done that. And still punished for the disobedience, right? You don't overlook it. But there's better ways to handle things. Boy, you know what? <laughs> Let's just stop for a minute and acknowledge something. We really need the gospel. Amen, church? 
I think this is the whole thrust of all of this. I need the gospel every day. There's a, just dealing with this topic of anger, there are a ton of things to make me angry, that don't go my way. I don't get things the way I want to. And often I, I get angry and respond the wrong way, and, and I just got to remember this gospel and what God's done to reconcile himself to me, uh, uh, recon, be reconciled to him through Jesus, through Jesus. Well, the second point before we go on, Ephesians chapter 4, verse 26, remember it says, Be angry and sin not. But what's the rest of that verse say? Do not let the sun go down on your wrath. What's that mean? It means take care of things before nighttime comes, before you go to bed. Quickly! Take care of it. Don't let it fester. So number two in the outline, get right with your brother quickly before it's too late. Two illustrations here, two analogies on your way to church or on your way to court. So here you have in mind in verse 20, what is it, 23? Verse 23, if you're offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar, verse 23, and go first be reconciled to your brother and then come and offer your gift. So there's the first illustration, the first analogy. So here they would be at the temple and they would bring an offering. And at that temple, there would have been an altar where they would have brought sacrifices according to the Old Covenant in that time period, right? And as they brought that offering to that altar, if there they suddenly remembered that somebody had something against them, they needed to not offer up anything and go take care of it. Now, what's that got to do with us? Because, folks, this is not a temple. This is a building. If you're a believer, you're the temple of God. And you're supposed to offer up sacrifices to God. And we don't have an altar in this building. This, the, the front of this church is the front of this church. It is not an altar, even though historically people have called it an altar and so forth. But we don't have an altar. We're not making sacrifices. There's already been a sacrifice been made. Amen? So... Isn't it interesting that when they bring a, a sacrifice for, uh, to the altar, that why is it that they would suddenly, they might remember that they've wronged somebody? Because they're bringing a sacrifice because they've wronged God. Many times that would be the, the reason for their offering. So in our context, since we're the temple of God, I think before we worship, whether it's coming to church publicly or worshiping privately or, or doing anything before, for the Lord, if we remember they wronged somebody, we should quickly go and take care of that. I think that's what that means. I think we especially have a reminder of that when we take part in the Lord's Supper like we did last Sunday. And we're remembering the sacrifice of Jesus, who is the altar, who is the sacrifice, who is the high priest. There we should be remembering how much we've been forgiven. And if we have offense toward others, we shouldn't, we shouldn't take the Lord's Supper. We shouldn't do anything until we've taken some type of step to reconcile before God. But folks, it's not just at the Lord's Supper. Before you do anything else today, if there's a relationship that you have that is not right and you've not taken any step at all, to reconcile. You must do it. There is no option. There is no option. You either obey this or you disobey this. 
It's not, I'm going to pray about it, I'm going to think about it, I'm going to let some time go by. That's not what Scripture says to do. So maybe it's sitting down writing a note initially. I don't know what that step's going to look like for you, but there needs to be some step toward seeking to make reconciliation. Romans chapter 12, verse 18 says this, If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all men. Now, I think it's important to read that verse of Scripture because what's going on in our mind is, well, am I not supposed to worship God again in a public way anyway until I've reconciled with somebody? No, that's not what Scripture says. That's not what it means. As, as far as possible, try to make peace with people. If you've not made any, if you've not tried to, and you know somebody has something against you, then then that's that's what you need to do right now, okay? And don't do anything else till you've done it. But sometimes, many times, people are not, they don't want to hear it. It's too fresh, it's too new for them, and you just, you, you have a brief talk, and, and, you, and you try, and they're not ready, and maybe you need to go back to them again later on. But But at that point, you've made an initial attempt at reconciliation. You've done what Scripture has said to do. The wrong question is to say, well, who comes to who takes the first step? Well, Matthew chapter 18, verse 15 says, If your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault. So whether whether that person sinned against you or they or they feel like you've offended them, whatever side you're on, you're the you're the one that's supposed to go. All right. Well, great preacher. That just makes me feel great. Well, good. You're going to feel better. It's not about how you feel anyway, but you're going to be right, doing the right thing when you obey what God says to do. Maybe as simply as going to your kids and saying, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Well, I don't want to hear it. Well, well, we'll talk about it again sometime, but I'm sorry. I just want you to know I'm sorry. You've made an attempt to reconcile. They may not want to hear another word you've got to say, whoever, whoever, whatever situation that is, but you've got to do something. On your way to court, says in verse 25 quickly, it says, come to terms quickly with your accuser while you're going to court. So use the illustration of somebody going to court. And listen, if you don't take come to terms with that person that's taking you to court, you're going to get to court and then you may get thrown in prison. If you get in prison, what's going to happen? Verse 26, you may be in a debtor's prison in that day. And it says in verse 26, truly I say to you, you will never get out until you've paid the last penny. So you may come to a place... In this illustration, this analogy of being like a debtor's prison in which you have a debt that you can't pay, you go to court, you're found guilty, you end up in debtor's prison, and you can't get out unless somebody outside the prison pays your debt. You're in prison, you can't pay it off yourself. You won't get out till you've paid the last penny. Now, some people think this is a reference to purgatory. That heretical false teaching that says that when someone dies, they go to a place, not heaven or hell, but purgatory, which is a place where you can... Pay the last penny by having somebody do penance for you some, somehow and get you out of purgatory. Well, folks, that's just as false as it could be. Jesus paid it all, and that's a hellish doctrine. There's only one place you're going when you die, and that's heaven or hell. And you better be sure you're trusting in Jesus Christ alone if you want to go to heaven. Let me share this with you. The whole thing here is expressing an urgency, beloved. It's expressing an urgency about reconciling with people. Do you see that? Come to terms quickly. So last night at the table, as I get ready to close, maybe, last night at the supper table, 
as we were having devotions, one of the kids said, so I call somebody fool, I'm going to hell. I said, the Bible says you're liable to the fire of hell. You're liable to judgment. That means you deserve. And I looked at all my kids. And I looked at my wife. And I said, that means this, guys. All of us sitting right here at this table. Me and mommy's got mad and angry at times, haven't we? And we've come and had to say we're sorry before. Because we didn't handle ourselves right. And every one of you done the same thing. With your anger. This means all of us sitting at this table... We deserve, we, we're liable to judgment. We deserve to go to hell, and we should. Every one of us. It says we won't get out till we've paid the last penny. We are, we are in an irreversible situation. Unless the debt is paid, we can't pay it ourselves. We're, this law here, this sixth commandment alone, has shut us up in a prison, and we can't pay the debt. We're murderers. We have anger towards one another. We need somebody to pay that debt and praise. And I said, and I looked at our kid, my kids and I said, aren't you guys so thankful for Jesus? I said to my kids and my family, aren't we so thankful for what Jesus has done, that he has paid that debt on the cross so that we could be forgiven and be changed as well. Colossians chapter 1, verse 22 says that Jesus, He is now reconciled in His body of flesh by His death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before Him. We who need to reconcile have been reconciled by the death of Jesus. Amen, church. Praise God for our Lord Jesus Christ. This is a weighty message that slays every single person in this room no matter what age you are. Jesus waits off. I'm struggling. He's working. He's sanctifying me. He's, he, I'm still struggling not to be angry and not to be unrighteous in my anger and handle myself better with my kids and at work or whatever situation it is. But I've been forgiven. That weight is off. I'm not struggling to get so I can get to heaven. I'm struggling because I love Jesus and want to please Him because I'm going to heaven. That pressure is off. Praise Jesus. Now, if you want to be forgiven, what you need to do is you need to come to Christ. You need to ask Him to forgive. You need to put all your hope and faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Not in being baptized not in not getting angry or not calling somebody a certain word or whatever it is, only in Jesus Christ. There's many a person going to spend eternity in hell because their hope was in something other than Jesus. And I'd love to talk with you about that before you leave this place today. I'll be standing here at the front of this church as we sing this last song or I'll be standing at the back later and you can certainly come and talk with me. And I'd encourage you to do that. And for those of you that are believers, if God's speaking to you about a relationship that needs to be dealt with, where it 
especially where it's very clear that someone's been offended by you or you're offended at someone else and it's very clear. I know sometimes we're wondering because we don't know, did, did what I say or what I not do, did that offend that person? We're just kind of wondering because they've been acting funny. You know, all that, that kind of thing goes through your head, right? So let's start with the very clear things and then work our way and pray about the other things that may not be as clear. Let's pray together. Father, our desire is to be a holy people. So thank you for your word. Help us not to misunderstand your commandments as the Pharisees and scribes did and many people did in that day and we do in our day. Help us to see the direction in which commands lead is for us to have a righteousness like Jesus and depend upon Jesus and long only for your glory and only be offended at the things that offend you. We need so much help in this area in our lives, God. Thank you, Lord, that Jesus takes the weight. He takes the sin. He takes the brunt of it on the cross. Help us to live out who we are in Christ. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Let's stand right now and sing together. And if you'd like to come and pray or I can talk with you during this time, you come and do so as we sing together. What is the gospel? It all begins with God. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. God created the first man, Adam, and the first woman, Eve, to rule over the garden. God told them they could eat from any tree that they wanted to in the garden except for the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Everything was perfect in the garden. They had a perfect relationship with the land, a perfect relationship with each other, a perfect relationship with God until they chose to rebel against God and eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And it brought about separation between them and God. Man has always tried to bridge the separation on his own terms and in his own strength. Whether it's building a ladder of morality and trying to be good enough for God, or even in the Old Testament example, when men built a tower into the heavens trying to reach God on their own. A more contemporary example comes from 1961, when the Russians were first successful in sending a man into outer space. Upon returning, the Russian cosmonaut remarked, We have been to space, and we didn't find God or heaven there. A popular professor and author, C.S. Lewis, responded to the Russian cosmonaut. He said that looking for God in outer space is kind of like Hamlet, one of the characters in Shakespeare's plays, looking for Shakespeare in the attic of his home. Lewis said that for Hamlet to have a relationship with Shakespeare, Shakespeare would literally have to write himself into the story. That is the gospel. The Bible says, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. The gospel is the account of God writing himself into human history. Almost 2,000 years ago, the Bible says that Jesus, in fulfillment to Old Testament prophecies, was born of a virgin. Even as a child, he lived a perfect life. At the age of 30, he began his public ministry. He attracted followers. For three years, he taught, he healed, and he made bold claims, such as saying that he alone was the only way to God. The religious and political leaders did not like these teachings. They invoked a riot against Jesus. They brought about false accusations leading to a trial and to a sentencing of death by public crucifixion. The Bible says that while Jesus hung on the cross, that God placed all of the sin of all of mankind on Jesus. Jesus hung on the cross as our substitute. God made him 
him who knew no sin to become sin for us so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. They took Jesus down from the cross and they put him in the tomb. They rolled a large stone at the entrance of the tomb so no one could get in or out. There were Roman soldiers who were posted on guard to keep people from coming to take Jesus' body. But on the third day, according to scripture, he rose again. After being seen by many eyewitnesses and giving instruction to his followers, he ascended back into the heaven where he now sits at the right hand of God and serves as our advocate before the Father. So what does this have to do with you? The Bible says that we have all sinned and that we all fall short of God's standard of holiness. The Bible says that the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. There is no way to get rid of the burden of sin on our own. God calls all men everywhere to believe in Christ, repent of sins, and trust Christ to live a new life. As we look back and believe in what God has done through the crucifixion, the burial, and the resurrection, as we repent and turn from our sins, as we trust Jesus as our Savior and Lord, we have peace with God and the forgiveness of sins. So let's review. It all begins with God. Because of our sin, we are separated from God. The gospel is the account of God writing himself into human history. Jesus died in our place for our sins and rose again on the third day. As we believe in Christ, repent from our sins, and trust Jesus for new life, we have peace with God and forgiveness of sins. That is the gospel. 